Good morning to you all. Oh, there I am. Good morning, I'll say it again. As Brad welcomed you all, I thought, well, that's kind of funny. He sounds just like a pastor. And then I went, oh, yes, he used to be a pastor before he was a professor. And we just have that habit. And in fact, sometimes at pastors' conferences, we joke about that, how all pastors have to say good morning and people say good morning back. And uh, it can be quite the interesting thing. Oh, my dear, where did my sermon go? Uh, It just disappeared. (laughs) My iPad actually was dead this morning that I used at church and I brought my own from home and apparently it is weird, but we will try to get ourselves there. Uh, Anyway, um, now I'm all flustered and distracted. I will find it here eventually. Why can't they list it by date? I had to, on the front pew, try to figure out how to stop it from turning every time I turned the thing. I will find it. What is my sermon called? Does anybody know? That would really help me. Oh, I'm not even going to listen to you. You're trying to throw me off. Where did it go? That's not good. It's not showing up. Hmm. This is really embarrassing. I don't even know how I got to that point. Come on, iPad, do what I tell you to do. I have never had something just disappear like that. There we go. Push the right button and you can figure it out. Hopefully most of it shows up. There it is. That's what we got. I do have the paper copy on the front pew if I have to. Anyway, I uh, was hearing uh, Brad talk about uh, his cat, and it reminded me, now my wife and I are, are very different people, and we celebrate our differences, and we recognize it makes us stronger. Now, one of the differences, we have Dashuns, little wiener dogs. I like them to sleep on the bed. The wife doesn't like them on the bed. So uh, the other night, <laughs> you can probably tell where this is going, I heard about four in the morning, I could hear that sound of throwing up, And I thought, that's really close. And the one dog was right beside me about to throw up in the bed. And so I grabbed her and I threw her to the foot of the bed. I just happened to do that as it was coming out of her mouth. (laughs) And it sprayed my wife. And I had thrown the covers back so she was fully exposed. And uh, later she texted me, she said, did the dog throw up on you at all? And I said, no, I threw her on my wife. (laughs) And I say that to you to say that we are all very different. And we all come with different strengths and opinions. And and last Sunday, we looked at how the church averted a theological uh, division. And it was tough. And I'm sure there was people that maybe even left the church. But the church wrestled it through. They heard the voices. They let people be heard, and then they made a decision to move forward. And this week, surprisingly enough, we're going to be coming at, once again, a great division that happened. And we're going to see what I think is one of the most coolest ways that a division or dispute was settled, and how it worked out over the next 10, 20, 30 years. Let's bow our heads and pray. Heavenly Father, I just pray in the name of Jesus that as we go to your word that it will be powerful. 
that it will touch our hearts and our souls. That God, honestly, I know for a fact, the biggest struggle in our society, the biggest struggle in this church is unforgiveness. I know, God, how I wrestle with hurt, how I wrestle with pain, how I wrestle with bitterness. And it is a struggle this side of heaven that we all in our sinful nature will work through. Instead of celebrating our differences, we tend to get angry and and frustrated and, and wish the other person was just like us. Help us today to have grace. Help us to have a heart of forgiveness. As you, Jesus, taught us in your prayer that we are to forgive those who trespass against us as you, God, have forgiven us. And so, God, would you open up our hearts? Holy Spirit, would you speak to our souls? Would you heal those broken, painful places? In Jesus Christ's name I pray, amen. Now, speaking of differences, Pastor Rod and I are very different also. In fact, we as a church use a tool called Grip Berkman. And Rod and I come out very different. And you need to know that whenever we're looking at hiring staff, and when I was looking at needing a new executive pastor, I said, who is Anthony? And I can tell you my tendency would be to hire somebody exactly like me. And I can tell you that the church, the kingdom of God wouldn't be served in that. So I said, who is somebody different? And as the Lord brought Rod to us, he is very different. I'll explain one really big difference. This is actually maybe even surprise you. Because you know Rod's the executive pastor. He's task-driven. You know that I tend to be very people-oriented. But here's something that might surprise you. When it comes to working with people, Pastor Rod never, ever, ever gives up on them. He will give people second chances, third chances, fourth chances, fifth chances, sixth. He is so full of grace, it's unbelievable. I tend to be a little bit more vision and task driven in that area, and I get frustrated with people. And I just want to push them aside and find somebody else. And so what kind of person does this church need in its executive pastor with the lead pastor the way he is? Oh, don't get me wrong, I'm not that bad. I do have grace and I do have love for people. But I can tell you, Rod's grace is way beyond mine. And I asked him even this morning, like, why is that? And he went through a lot of things. Well, it was kind of this experience and that experience. And, and I had this growing up and my parents were that. He's just full of a lot of grace for people. And I can tell you the text this morning that deals with two main characters, the Apostle Paul and Barnabas. And if you've ever stood, uh, uh, studied these two guys, Paul is a visionary. Paul is a task-driven guy. I mean, this guy is just planting, well, we know he planted at least seven churches, if not more. And he had a way that he did it. He would go into a community, preach in the synagogue, get people converted, begin to train them up, appoint elders, and then he'd move on. And he would communicate with the elders and help them and teach them to lead the church. He would stay about two or three years in an area. That's it. He had a purpose and he had a reason to go on. Barnabas was this guy full of grace. 
He also liked to plant churches and teach the kingdom, but he just was a lot more gentle and kind and easygoing. So turn in your Bibles, Acts chapter 15, as we look at verse 36, and we pick up this story of two very different personalities, and they end up in a conflict. Sometime later, Paul said to Barnabas, let us go back and visit the believers in all the towns where we preach the word of the Lord and see how they're doing. Barnabas wanted to take John, also called Mark, so John Mark, with them. But, listen to this, Paul did not think it wise to take him. Why? Because he had deserted them in Pamphylia and had not continued with them in the work. Paul just didn't want to take the chance. To him, planting churches, encouraging believers, it required stick to itness. It required vision. It required direction. And this guy had already proven that he couldn't be trusted. Verse 39. They had such a sharp disagreement. Don't overread into this, but it definitely was a disagreement that was very sharp. That they parted company. Barnabas took Mark and sailed for Cyprus, but Paul chose Silas and left, commended by the believers to the grace of the Lord. He went through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches. In my research this week, reading some commentaries, I came across a little bit of a John Piper article. And John Piper kind of breaks this text into three quick points, and I thought, I can't even write it that good. I just got to quote this. Point number one, John Piper says is, the breach was healed between Paul and Barnabas. First in 1 Corinthians 9, 6, you can find it. Sometime after separating from Barnabas, Paul refers to Barnabas as a fellow worker who shares his life and labor. The breach had been healed. Secondly, John Piper points out, the breach between Paul and Mark is healed. Remember John Mark? The one who Paul didn't have enough grace for? The one who Barnabas, oh, and by the way, if you study Paul and Barnabas, you'll find that Barnabas does get in trouble with his grace sometimes. But likewise, Paul also gets in trouble with his stick to itness, his, his nose hardness. But we see that the breach between Paul and Mark is healed in 2 Timothy 4.11 as Paul writes, Luke alone is with me. Get Mark, wow. Get Mark and bring him with you, for he is very useful in serving me. Man, I wish we could read what happened in between those two lines. I wish we could see, how did Barnabas and Paul, I believe there's some clues here. Thirdly, we read, even in conflict, they parted and committed to the gospel. This is the clue that comes up. As you are a fellow believer in Jesus, as you've heard the Lord's prayer, that we are to get along, sometimes our disagreements can be sharp enough, and listen to this, 
The third piece of evidence that God triumphs even through the failures of his people is that when the contention was not solved, neither missionary quit the ministry. I don't know if you're aware how many pastors leave ministry within their first five years, over 80%. And I can tell you one of the biggest shocks I had was the conflict that I came into. I'm probably exaggerating this point, but I don't remember anybody hating me before I was a pastor. And yes, I've heard people say to me, I hate you. I never heard that, and that's hard. But honestly, friends, we gotta get beyond that. We gotta get over that. And for goodness sakes, I am far from perfect. I wished I had as much grace for people as Rod. Rod is so nicely, and Rod would probably come up here and say, oh, I'm not that full of grace, you should see me. But I want to tell you, we all have our stuff, and that's what Rod and I went into a big, long talk this morning about soul care and how infective, infective, that's a good word, it is infectious, and it is effective. There we go, I made a new word. How infective soul care was for both of us. We got to see the lies that we believed about ourselves. We got to see the pains and and the father wounds that we both had. And and we got to have the experience of the Holy Spirit working in our lives and healing us. Acts 15.39 says this, They had such a sharp disagreement that they parted company. Barnabas took Mark and Saul and sailed for Cyprus, and Paul chose Silas and left. In other words, their conflict happened. And truthfully, conflicts happen in my marriage. My wife's been really gracious about the dog throwing up on her, by the way. Well, she did say, no dogs on my bed anymore, and I have to say I snuck one in the next night after she went to sleep. And she didn't say anything to me the next morning. She's so gracious. Conflict happens And how we choose to resolve and work through the conflict will mean the kingdom expanding and the gates of hell being pushed back. Do you believe it? As we looked last week at the possibility of church division, it just isn't healthy. Unforgiveness within the church, it just is horrible and unhealthy. This week, twice, twice, I heard of people who love Jesus still, In their words, they hate organized religion. I don't know what their soul wounds are, but it's real and it's painful. Let me plead with you by the power of the Holy Spirit and his written word, if you've got bitterness and anger and unforgiveness in your heart, it's not good for you. Oh, I remember being in an old folks home once and I could see these people walking around with lips like this. And when I worked for Freedom in Christ Ministries, we would go around to different communities. We would help people unpack their forgiveness and unforgiveness. And I remember this little old lady in her 80s, she just had that kind of purse lips. And I heard her story. And it is the worst and the horriblest story you could ever imagine. The life that she lived as a teenager, you can't, I'm not even going to describe it, it's that horrible. If anybody had a reason not to let go, to hold on to bitterness, it was her. And I remember saying to her, so where is this guy 
that you have so much anger towards? Well, he died 20 years ago, she said. With her lips pursed. And I said, you need to let it go. I'm not letting him off my hook, she said. I said, he's dead. You see, that's the way bitterness, it can just take a root and it can grow into all the parts of your being and you can become who you don't want to be. My wife and I, honestly, we work together really well on most everything. Two areas that we honestly work separately, and you can probably relate to this, we don't wallpaper together. Now, I, I, I like doing things well, but I'm not a perfectionist, and my wife is. So you can imagine a perfectionist putting up wallpaper beside a it's good enough personality. Honestly, if I wallpaper a room, she comes in and she won't notice the good enough stuff. I do a good job, but to a perfectionist side by side, oh my goodness. And the problem was there was knives involved. We had to cut the wallpaper, so we just said we will never wallpaper again. I am so glad wallpaper's fallen out of fashion. I was watching one of those home shows and they were using wallpaper and both Carol and I looked at each other in horror, oh, may it never come. <laughs> the other place that it kind of shows up in our marriage is house cleaning. I can clean the kitchen for seven hours. And my wife will come in and say, you know, we should maybe clean the kitchen. <laughs> and she'll go in there and she'll clean and I'll look at it and go, hmm, actually it did still need to be cleaned. See, my good enough, it was okay. I mean, so what if there's a few things laying around? We might just use the ketchup in an hour or so. Why wouldn't we just leave it out? <laughs> but in our differences, we celebrate and honestly, I will clean a room and then I will say to Carolyn, can you go in there and finish it off? I just know. When Rod and I are dealing with people, uh, Rod, sometimes he, he can be so tenderhearted. He'll say, oh, Rod, please. Don't be so tenderhearted. We need to move this forward with that person in the church. And sometimes Rod has to say, Anthony, these are people. I know it's an organization, but just let it go. We've got to give them some more grace. I say this to say, Barnabas was a tender-hearted, believe-in-people person. Paul was a driven planner. Barnabas took the guy who had failed once because he felt John Mark could learn and grow. Paul, who was a stick-to-it planner, went with Silas and Barnabas went with John Mark, and we read in the scriptures later that obviously it all worked out. They had decided to disagree and part ways, but not in anger and bitterness. And I'm guessing, reading between the lines in the text that I've read, they worked it all out somewhere, someplace eventually. And I don't believe they just ignored it. I believe they probably sat down and talked it through. Let me beg you and ask you, you might feel you are justified at your anger and bitterness towards somebody. You may say to me, I don't trust them. And understand, uh, forgiveness and trust are two separate issues. If somebody that you go over to visit is always trying to cut your arm off, you probably need to forgive them, but don't go over there and get your arm cut off. You know, that's a trust issue. That's a whole different step. 
But bitterness will just eat you alive. It'll, it's, it's like a root that just goes down into everything and everywhere you do. And I can tell you that a lot of the people that I've known over the years that don't get this in their minds, they become so bound up, so full of anger, so they, they can't even function. They have trust issues with everybody. And let me just beg you and ask you, I'm going to read through a bunch of verses with no comment. I want the Holy Spirit to work on you, though. And I know he will, because these verses are, and these aren't conclusive. This isn't all that Scripture says. From the Old Testament to the New Testament to the book of Revelation, from Genesis at the beginning right to the very end, this is a theme over and over and over. Colossians chapter 3, verse 12 says, Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved. Did you know you're God's chosen people? Did you know that God loves you so deeply? Clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. And here it comes. Bear with each other and forgive one another if any of you has a grievance against someone. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. Oh, there's so many places this principle applies. If Jesus treated people the way that we treat people, I don't know if any of us would be saved. If Jesus treated people the way you or I treat people, would anybody be saved? And over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Oh, and here it comes. Let the peace of Christ. You're struggling. Let the peace of Christ. You're you're wondering where this is going to come from, where in the heart it will grow. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you were called to be peace and to be thankful. Romans 12, verse 14. Bless those who persecute you, bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. And I'll say of different color skin. Do not be conceited. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of Everyone, we're not talking about being people pleasers here. We're talking about trying to get along. Uh, coming to a consensus in Jesus. Uh, founding or making our foundation the word of God. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you. And oh, this plays out a lot. As far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, it is mine to avenge, I will repay. 
says the Lord. And I love that passage because if I'm wrong and the person I'm angry at isn't guilty, God won't do anything. But we need to let God work in people's eyes. We need to let it go. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, which really is the communion passage. Uh, this is all the teaching about the early church in Corinth, how they had turned communion into a big love feast. Uh, some people were coming early and eating all the food. Uh, some were coming late. They weren't getting anything. They were in sections. They were in cliques. They didn't include each other. Listen to these words. 1 Corinthians eleven seventeen. In the following directives, I have no praise for you. For your meetings do more harm than good. In the first place, I hear that when you come together as a church, there are divisions among you. And to some extent, I believe it. No doubt there have to be differences among you to show which of you has God's approval. I don't want to exegete that, but that's really cool if you do. So then, when you come together, it is not the Lord's supper you eat. Did you know that? When you come together... It is not the Lord's supper you eat, for when you are eating, some of you go ahead with your own private suppers. As a result, one person remains hungry and the other gets drunk. Don't you have homes to eat and drink in? Or do you despise the church of God by humiliating those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I praise you? Certainly not in this matter. This isn't the exhaustive word of God on having Humbleness and forgiveness. Interesting. Here's a little interesting little tidbit. The Apostle Paul, the hard-nosed, driven guy, who's the one that wrote the three most extensive passages that explain the differences of people? Now, it's 1 Corinthians 12, Romans 12, Ephesians 4. This is about the body of Christ and how we've all been gifted differently, how we're all different. It was the Apostle Paul that wrote them. This is a guy who learned from his mistakes. This is a guy who grew. This is a guy who knew to give more grace to people. This is a guy who had a Rod Willems called Barnabas with him. Understand that forgiveness and trust are two separate things. Trust may need to be rebuilt, but you need to forgive. You need to let it go. And I want you to know that conflict has solutions. You don't have to agree. You don't have to see things the same way but you can navigate your way out of conflict. My wife and I also struggle in the financial area because she's a perfectionist and I am not. So guess who balances the checkbook? It's not me, because I would go, it's good enough. So what if we're short $30 here and $20 there? So what if we're a few days late on a bill? My wife's a perfectionist. I celebrate her difference. But that perfectionist sitting down to think and talk about a mortgage, she will get overwhelmed in her perfectionist, so I do it. Mortgages, finances, whatever it be. There is always solutions. There's always another perspective. There's another way to work it out. I am so excited to work in a little bit bigger church because even staff that I see maybe aren't fitting here, I can even sometimes move them over to there. I wasn't in a big church like this, and it was kind of like, well, the person themselves usually go, well, it's just not working out, and I say, I'm sorry, and they would move on. We haven't had to do that a lot, but we've done it a little bit. But I want you to know, conflict has solutions, and the first solution is for you to begin to forgive. 
for you to start to see things in a little bit bigger picture. You don't have to agree. Most often, but not always, you can navigate your way out of conflict, especially given that we have the Holy Spirit in us and the Bible to guide us. Don't get me wrong. There are black and white issues. The condition of man's heart, that's very clear. We're sinful. The love of God, that's not even negotiable. That Jesus was fully God and man, that is so clear. Yet we make opinion, talked about this last week, and cultural things, black and white, so fast. And somebody that doesn't see things the same as us, I've told you this before and I'll say, one of my worries about our denominationalism is that we tend to pool up with people that think just like us. And we as a church, we, we often will miss or push aside those who are really academic and they can get down into the theology and doctrine and we need them. Or those who just want to move in the spirit. I think we both need each other. So in conclusion, if someone knows you have a disagreement with them today, if somebody actually, and I, this is a funny story because I just had a guy come to my office about six months ago. I confronted him about a disagreement I had with him. The problem was he didn't know there was a disagreement. And we laughed in my office. This is 30 some years ago. If someone knows you have a disagreement, go to them today. Call them. Forgive them. It's time to let go. I'm not talking about trust here. I'm not saying that you open up a business together. I'm just saying, let it go. If you've been privately harboring unforgiveness in your heart, here it is, straight up, Anthony, right to your face, deal with it. It's not an option. Remember 1 Corinthians 11? When you come together, you do more harm than good. You make a mockery of Jesus. Number three, if you have forgiveness in your life, or if you have unforgiveness in your life, Forgiveness, take communion. Unforgiveness, let it pass by. And sometimes if it's just a conflict and the other person doesn't know there's a conflict, you can let it go and take communion. But if you need to go make it right with somebody today, if the Holy Spirit speaks to you and says, when I worked for Freedom in Christ Ministry, I took over 300, probably 400 people through the steps to freedom. One of them, the exercise I did, I would write at the top of a piece of paper, I forgive blank space for offense it made me feel whatever and people would go well, I don't have anybody I said well let's pray and I'd pray Heavenly Father reveal to Anthony any hurt unforgiveness and bitterness he has maybe he's angry and bitter at an old teacher I'd give a few little prompters maybe there's something dad did that he's just not been able to let go and then I would tell them, take the pen. Did you know I had people who said they had no unforgiveness that would fill 10 pages of names? 10 pages. Friends, don't fool yourself. I'm not going to fool myself. I am not going to fool myself. I've got issues, I've got hurts, I've got a backstory. And it causes me way too often 
to get angry, to get full of bitterness, to get full of unforgiveness. And can you imagine a pastor? Like, I'd just be up here raging all the time. Wouldn't do you any good, and it certainly wouldn't do me any good. In fact, I can tell you that all the medical studies have shown what that does to your health. What does the scripture say? A joyful heart is like a medicine. But bitterness dries the bones. You know, sure, go out and buy your doTERRA, your Amway, go to the gym, do all that, sure. But something that's so simple and so free, especially by the power of Holy Spirit, forgiveness, friends, we need to deal with it. Let's bow our heads and pray. Heavenly Father, before us we have a communion table. And as the elders come down and we partake of this table, oh God, as we hold the element, (laughs) the first element of bread, how you, Jesus Christ, while we were yet sinners, died on the cross, taking the punishment of my sin, giving me grace, giving me a second chance. And God, you've given me a third chance and a fourth chance and a fifth. You love me so much. And somebody here may need to receive Jesus into their heart. They maybe need to say, God, I'm getting it. I, I, I see how you've forgiven me. And all I need to do is reach out and take hold of that forgiveness. And today I reach out and I take that forgiveness, God. And because you have forgiven me, God, I'm going to forgive others today. So as we take the juice representing the blood, we know that the book of Hebrews says that without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. Our transgressions, our sins have been forgiven. So as we take communion, as we we hold those elements, Holy Spirit, speak to us. And for some of us, it's going to be really simple just to quickly say, I forgive Fred, George, Henry, whoever it might be, Susie, Gail, for how they cheated me of money or how they spoke against me or how they were mean to me or how they abused me for it made me feel like I am nothing, that I am worthless, that I am just something to be used and it hurt me. Oh God, may we work out our stuff May we keep short accounts with you. May we have the person of Christ in us. May our salvation be worked out from the inside out. Holy Spirit, fill us from the tip of our toes to the top of our heads. Overwhelm us, Holy Spirit. Overwhelm us with your love. Overwhelm us with your care. Overwhelm us with your forgiveness. Open up our minds to seeing how we have been so judgmental, so bitter. And as we take this communion this morning, the bread and the juice, God, would it be significant? Would it be powerful as those elements go into our mouths and we swallow them down? That is such a wonderful picture of you, Jesus, in us. Greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. And we will no longer live and be like the world is. We will follow the examples of Paul and Barnabas.
and we will work out our stuff. We will forgive. We will be part of the body. We will celebrate our differences. In Jesus Christ's name, I pray these things. Amen.